Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD. Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 16 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Larissa in what country? We are in Bali, South Africa. So I never thought I'd be in Africa, but here we are. <laughs> uh, and I'm really excited because we have finished our store. We did a 30-day new challenge and we also traveled all around South Africa uh, over to Cape Town, to Johannesburg and saw a bunch of animals, ate tons of food, did a lot of cool stuff. Mm -hmm. So this episode is going to be about all that. Um, so uh, how was the last two weeks? So firstly, I like okay. how you say we've traveled all over South Africa. <laughs> and we've basically been to two out of the nine provinces, <laughs> which is not all over South Africa. And you're never going to travel the whole of South Africa two weeks. Because there's tons mm -hmm. of things to do. And we've unfortunately only had two weeks. We also briefly saw Pretoria, where we picked up our new Thai visa. So we're going to talk about the complications of that as well. Why South Africa is not the best place to do a visa run. It's probably on the, like, the worst list. The top 10 worst places in the world where you can apply for a Thai visa. But we have good news. Uh, so let's first talk about uh, why we came here. Okay. So I am born and raised in Johannesburg. So this is my pride and joy. Like my family lives here. Um, this is home to me. Um, say, well, Thailand has become home to me, but this has been home to me for 26 years. And um, we definitely felt like we've been dating for about a year now. And I think that's the next logical step is for like your, your partner to meet your family. And it's a lot easier for Johnny to come to South Africa and meet 25 people or 30 people than it is for 30 people to get on a plane and come to Thailand and visit us there. Yeah, so I met Larissa's entire family. Uh, and we're actually at her dad's house right now uh, in Johannesburg. Beautiful place. And... It's been cool. And, and when we flew to Cape Town, met the rest of the family. So it's kind of a big step in our relationship. Uh, but also, it was we also needed to leave the country for a visa. And we wanted to see some, some cool stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and also eat some nice food. <laughs> and it's December. It's Christmas time. It's like last year I was in Thailand over Christmas. And as beautiful as it is there, like last year I didn't have as many friends yet. Because I've only been there for a few months. And the beginning is always the hardest part. Because you're still trying to get to know a lot of people. So then you miss family quite a bit. And this year I've, I'm very happy to be with my family members. And also have Johnny with me because like he's my new main family member um, to be at home over Christmas because it's like really it is a nice time to be with family. So little known fact, I actually haven't been home for Christmas in five or six years now. And I've been, you know, I've been home every, I would say every six months or so uh, back to the U.S., but I always go during the summer because I hate the cold. I, I really cannot stand the winter. And it's also always double the price to go back during Christmas. So I just never did it. And I never thought it was a big deal. But this time I, I can say that this Christmas Eve, I really remembered why it's nice to be around family. So that was good. And the food, 
very nice out here. And it's also because Christmas here isn't cold, so that makes it a lot nicer because that's the best time of the year to come to South Africa in terms of weather. Like December is a beautiful time to come to South Africa because it's really hot. Unfortunately, this year it's been kind of a little bit all over the place. We've had a lot of rain and we've had actually a little bit of cold weather. But it's summer here during December, yeah. which is the exact opposite of the US. So technically, if you guys want to date a South African girl, you can have <laughs> summer in the US, you know, during normal summertime, right? <laughs> Johnny thinks he planned this. Yeah. And actually, I was the one who said, can I date an American guy for t- <laughs> so, to get out of the winter? Yeah, yeah, I was planning on going there. Oh, see, well, it actually works out perfectly. So during December, you know, Christmas, we can be in South Africa. During July, we can be in the US. Or we can just be in Chiang Mai, Thailand, where it's Christmas. Well, not Christmas all year, but summer all year. Yeah, or anywhere else. Yeah, so I'm actually <laughs> heading back to Chiang Mai tomorrow. Uh, so this is kind of to wrap up what we've been doing for the last two weeks. Uh, so what have we been doing, Larissa? Okay. Johnny is actually asking that question because he really doesn't know. <laughs> He's like, I can't answer that. Like, it's just been so overwhelming between your family members. Like, yeah. So we've, when, before we came here, I asked Johnny, what do you want to do in South Africa? What's like on your, your bucket list? And he just said, animals. I want to do safaris. Yep. I'm actually wearing a safari shirt as we speak right now, <laughs> which Lucy got me for Christmas. And I was like, okay, easy. That's good. You know? And even though I live in Johannesburg, it's literally within an hour's drive outside Johannesburg. You can go on a really nice safari. And there's quite a few game reserves within an hour or two hours drive from Johannesburg. So we started off the trip actually in Pretoria mm-hmm. at the Thai embassy. Um, so I don't know if you want to dwell into that we'll, now. We'll go into that later. That's boring. Yeah, Let's that's start with really the boring. fun stuff. The, okay. the first animal outing we went to was... The Lion Park, which is just based... It's based just outside Pretoria. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did a cheetah walk. Yeah. So if you guys have seen the photos on either my Facebook or in the show notes of this episode, which is episode 60, uh, we basically walked around with a cheetah, a, a giant live cheetah around, you know, this the bush area, which is yeah. kind of just this out open plain. But what was super cool about it was we got into this safari van. It's basically an enclosed truck. Yep. And on the way there, they said, we're going to pick up Felix. And who is Felix? So we think, okay, we're going to pick up Felix. It's probably the feeder or, you know, like the, the animal handler, the guide or whatever. And then he's like, as soon as Felix get in, don't worry. He usually paces up and down. And that like <laughs> surely indicated, okay, Felix is not the guide. Felix is a 12-year-old grown cheetah. So they don't drive out to the open where the cheetah is in the wild. They actually bring him in the vehicle with you. And he is literally sitting next to you. He is like your next door passenger. I don't know. Like he was in the truck with us to the, like going to the destination. And it was surreal. Like I literally, I I immediately got scared to be honest, because it was like, I do not want to be in a truck with a full grown cheetah. That's not (laughs) on a leash or anything. He's just in there. And they chuck pieces of meat in the, to like get him in the truck. So I was like, Yeah, I mean, how else are you going to get a cheetah in the truck? That was scary though. I, I was like, oh my gosh, like we are like if this cheetah decides he's not in the mood for horse meat anymore, yeah. <laughs> then we are all screwed. Uh, so I actually have a video of it, which is really cool. Uh, so it's on my YouTube channel, or just go to the show notes of the Travel Like a Boss podcast, or go on my blog, Johnny FD. I'm gonna write a guide, basically Johnny's guide to to Africa, even though it's really just 
two provinces in Johannesburg. <laughs> but that's what I'm gonna call it because I don't I don't plan on seeing the rest of Africa this trip. Yeah. Um, but the video was super cool. Uh, I just edited it. Rissa hasn't even seen it yet, but I think you guys will like it a lot because yeah. it's it really puts it into perspective what it feels like having these animals that close to you. Yeah. And the thing about these safaris, so there's there's different types of safaris. When I was you know back home in the U.S. and I I would watch TV and see people going on safari. I imagine people getting on a Land Rover or you know some kind of um, or maybe a Toyota pickup truck and just driving through the bush for ten days to look for lions. Yeah. We didn't do that. We went to game reserves or these uh, um, animal sanctuaries. It's a sanctuary more than it is anything else. And so that that way you basically get pretty much guaranteed to see most animals. Mm -hmm. The only animal we didn't uh, see in the wild or during the game reserves, because a lot of these are still very big, so you still drive around, you still look for things. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't see the rhino in the wild. Yep. Um, but I did see one, just kind of one of the baby ones. So that was cool. But what was nice is a lot of animals I wasn't really expecting to love, or, you know, I did, it wasn't even on my radar. Those are the ones that were my favorites. Mm -hmm. So the cheetah, I never thought, you know, I, before... Um, Coming out here, I didn't think, oh, I want to see a cheetah. But that ended up being my, one of my favorite animals. These animals are extremely interesting once you get to learn the facts about them. They are beautiful to look at. But so you always have two options. You have a self-drive option where you can take your own vehicle. Don't do that. Baby. <laughs> You're so rude. <laughs> Don't do that. Larissa can't even get it. <laughs> okay. No, I'm just joking. Um, so you get a self-drive option where you take your own vehicle and you pay obviously a little bit less because you just pay per person that's in the car and you go look for the animals by yourself, which is just as nice because you still get the adventure of spotting, like searching for the for lions, for cheetahs, for etc. But then you get the safari option, which is a lot more expensive. It's usually double to three times the price of a self-drive. But you get a personal guide and you go in an open vehicle, which is, makes a very big difference. You are higher up because it's a big truck, so you it's easier to spot the animals. And the personal guide gives you so much information that gives you a higher respect for all the animals that you see. Because if, if you keep seeing buck and antelope the whole time, eventually you're like, oh, well, it's another, like... It's, it's antelope a, it's another buck to us it's, it's, it's a deer like yeah. we don't even know what the difference is you know there's gazelles and palas yep. and what else there's a sables there's so many things like and to us you know they kind of look the same they, you know you can have a book or a guide you can even maybe look it up but when you have a trained guide a safari you know a ranger basically telling you the, the backstory the history on all this stuff it makes it so much better so I would say 100% is worth it, especially if you're driving there in a, in a normal car. So if you have your rental car or, you know, a Kia, or even if you have a nice car, you know, don't, I wouldn't do it because it's not as comfortable as being in a big open air, you know, Range Rover that, that they provide. And <laughs> you have the guide uh, that, you know, teaches you all this stuff. Uh, the only time I would ever self-drive is if I had like a, a Range Rover, like a big proper car. But if you can afford that, then you can afford paying for a guide. So 100%, don't cheap out, do the guide, especially because the last thing you want to do after driving two hours, you know, from the city uh, over there is to sit in the car for another two hours, look for stuff. And majority of people who come here is probably going to have a rental mm -hmm. and you're probably not going to get the most expensive rental anyway. And you are going to mess up that rental. Like I was so <laughs> happy. At first, I, I really considered doing the soft drive. I told Johnny, I'm like, I don't want to spend that much money on the safaris because to me, I just see that price and I'm like, that's quite expensive. And he was, he insisted. He's like, we're not going to do this any other way. We're going to do this the real way, the African way. And 
eventually when we went through the field, I was like, thank the Lord I did not take my poor Kia Rio <laughs> through this because damages on my car would have been more yep. than the actual safari price. Yeah, definitely. So that's going to be tip number one is always opt for the for the drive option. And a lot of times you do have to call ahead uh, or you have to plan ahead. So these are things that, you know, if you do come out to South Africa, plan your, your trip ahead. I'll have links to all the places we went to, the places that, that I would recommend you guys going to. Now, unfortunately, if you don't have a South African girlfriend or, or boyfriend, it's a lot Get harder. Yeah. <laughs> they're really nice people today. It's like they're kind, they're warm-hearted, friendly. They actually are very, very nice people. Available at southafricangirlfriend.co.za. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't go there. That's probably some spam. <laughs> like, yeah, like some Nigerian guy, like <laughs> sitting selling South African goals. <laughs> don't. All right. So edit that part out. Step number two. <laughs> so uh, by coming here with a local, it is so much easier. If I had to come here just as a tourist, if I didn't know anyone, it would have been three times the price because the combination here is going to be super expensive. Transportation is going to be super expensive, so your option really would be to, uh, to you know, to sign up for these safaris where they pick you up, drive you, you know, two hours to the actual venue, and then you'd have to spend the night there for a few nights. But by knowing a local, you can, you know, basically stay stay there in the house, drive an hour and a half in the morning out to the safari, spend the whole day, and then drive back. And it's it's so much easier, so much cheaper. So I don't know if you can couch surf out in South Africa or that's even a thing, but. 100% see if you have a friend of a friend or a relative or someone that you can you can stay with because it makes it a million times easier and places like I would say Thailand or Borneo or all these other places we've been to uh, I would much rather just do it on my own than you know st- stay with locals all the time and that's why I don't do couch surf or anything like that but South Africa is one of those places it is so much better to have a local mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people who would travel here anyway, you're not going to stay like in the south of Johannesburg where we are based now because this is just, you know, we're families. Like a residential It's a residential place. area. So like tourists are never going to come and stay here. And I think a lot of people would actually live for a few days, stay at the game reserves, the yeah. on-site actually. So you can, you, you have more time there as well, spot more animals. We literally made them day trips, but mm-hmm. there's, it's, you can do it two days, a minimum at least. You can, definitely. But this is a travel hack. If you go in for the day, it is literally a 20th of the price of yep. staying there. Because when you stay there, even if you stay in one of their, their survivor tents, it's very expensive. It's almost like, a, it's basically a honeymoon place to go. Yep. You know, uh, that's why when you see on TV, people go on safaris are always these rich old guys. Yep. But uh, one other big benefit of staying with the local is the food. <laughs> All right. So what they call a barbecue is a braai. And this is one of the, the best things about uh, South African cuisine is people barbecue all the time. Steaks and barbecue is basically what you eat when you're here. <laughs> Johnny was telling me the other day in the car, he's like, I've never thought I would say this, but I think I'm getting tired of having steak. <laughs> and I don't think there's any other country in the world you could possibly go to where you feel that you are having too much steak. And it's just because I think South Africans could live on meat because they have boudoirsh like sausage mm-hmm. and like chops and like steaks or whatever you can have it for breakfast lunch and dinner basically. every restaurant we've been to the the you know the main part of their menu is do you want filet mignon do a t-bone steak uh or do you want sirloin and then a lot of places have cool options you can have like ostrich steak you can have um, what, what did they and have like the other ribs day? and chicken and ostrich steak combo yeah <laughs> like you can have all three if you want to and the ribs here are very good 
So we had, we, I probably had ribs, you know, seven times <laughs> out of the two weeks we've been here. Uh, I also had a cool Impala steak as well as a... Kudu. Kudu, yeah. which I don't actually know what that is. <laughs> okay, we're going to look that up for you so I show it's, you exactly I, what you eat. It's probably like a big <laughs> yep. deer looking animal. Very much. Very big. But very mm -hmm. delicious, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that people eat all the time is... We didn't actually see kudu in, when we went on the safari. safari so that's oh, okay. why you'd, we didn't see one at all. That makes sense. So. But the other thing that they eat a lot is something called biltang, which is basically beef jerky, yeah. but slightly different. It's not as dry. There, there's biltang that's like... It's almost kind of like still wet. Yep. The, the, the thing I can most closely relate it to is if you ever had Chinese barbecue pork, that red stuff that they slice, that's kind of juicy, but it's been barbecued and a little bit dried. It kind of tastes like that. Yep. But you get varieties of biltong. Mm -hmm. So you can get like the dried meats that Johnny would prefer because he doesn't eat, like eating raw meats. And for me personally, I prefer wet biltong, which is like he says, it's like cutting up basically a <laughs> A, a medium to red and steak yeah. and smaller fine pieces and having that as a snack in a package <laughs> in a package yeah yeah so you you have a lot of meat when you're here so if you're not a meat eater don't come to, to south africa no, we're not very vegetarian friendly i want to say especially not the restaurants like we don't cater there's hardly ever have you ever seen on a, a menu like a, a, a section that's option. just dedicated to vegetarians. No, definitely not. A few items on the menu that will have the V next to it, like stating it's a vegetarian option. But then on a menu of 50 items, there might be four that's yeah, dedicated and to vegetarians. 49 of them. And that's steak. like the salad, the Greek salad, the starter bread. Mm. <laughs> like, that's what you're having. The orange juice. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like kind of ironic because. So two episodes ago, I had Dave Asprey, the Bulletproof Executive, on the podcast, and his book just came out, mm -hmm. and I've been reading it while I've been here, so I've been wanting to get, you know, fully on the diet, and unfortunately, you know, it's, a lot of it's kind of just high fat, low carb, but kind of moderate protein. A lot of people have a misconception that the, that the, um, that the Bulletproof Diet is like a high protein diet, but it really isn't. So when I get back to Chiang Mai tomorrow... I'm going to go on a two week challenge and I'm just going to, I'm really going to follow the book because I thought I knew what I was doing mm -hmm. because I've been technically on this diet for a year now and I've been following a lot of the principles. I've been drinking bulletproof coffee. I've been doing all that, but really I, I haven't been doing it right. So if you haven't read the book and you're, you think that you're eating bulletproof or paleo correctly, yeah. you're probably not. So I would read the book. Definitely. I've went, so, since I've been reading the book, I was like, I can't believe how many things we've just been doing wrong. Yeah, completely wrong. Completely wrong. <laughs> because we thought that's the way to do it. And the book explains it in so much detail, but it's also, it makes it really easy to understand it. It's, there's a lot of sci scientific terms in mm -hmm. it, but then he breaks it down and he tells you in plain English, this is what you should eat and this is what you shouldn't eat. Because to me, at the end of the day, even though it's important to know like the science behind it all and what it does to your body... I want it in simple terms where it tells me, okay, eat this and stay away from that. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that makes it a lot easier for me to understand. And that's what I love about the book. It just it clearly gives you guidelines what is good and what isn't good. That's true. But one cool thing about being out here or just being on vacation is trying all the different local foods. So it's, uh, aside from all the steaks and the weird gay meats I've had, I also had something called boboti. Boboti, yes. What is that? So that's a mince and egg dish that they bake in the oven. Um... That's basically the main ingredients is mint in it. It's um, grounded beef. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we had Bobuetti at a really nice traditional restaurant, which wasn't as tasty as it was meant to be. So I don't know if Johnny would ever recommend anyone. What's it called? Um, Mo um, Moyos. Moyos. I would say go there 
kind of expecting it to be like um, Hard Rock Cafe of Africa, where you know you get a lot of the traditional you know feeling. You get the face painting. They, they combine wash your hands in this copper bucket. You know, so it's very cool. And the food is okay. Uh, so you can you know, kind of read through the menus what there is. But it was definitely overpriced and. The food wasn't as good as you would like it to be. So all the really good food, I would say, would be like the ribs, the different steaks, uh, and also there's a a traditional dish that comes in a a pot. Was a it pot? So it's a what is that three legged pot? I don't know, like a, a tripod, tripod pot, like <clears throat> like one of those old school black, you know, that you make over the fire basically. Yeah. You put it over on fire and you prepare a stew in it for like literally the whole day. So that's what makes the meat and the food. Mm. So taste that good because it's been prepared over quite a few hours. And what's that called? Poiki kos. Okay. So poiki is pot and okay. kos is food. So it's food that's prepared in a pot. <laughs> exactly what it is. It's very good. I, I think I had an oxtail one and that was delicious. One of the best things I actually ate was at Nelson Mandela's house. Well, actually, <clears throat> near Nelson Mandela's house. That sounds insane when you say <laughs> that. Like, it sounds like we went to Nelson Mandela's house, like, just as a visit, you know, like, for his, his family or whatever like you say it like well we had food in Nelson Mandela's house so it was this the street in this area called Sueto yes and it's kind of known as a dangerous part of Johannesburg that nobody no locals really go to but it's changed over the years it's mm -hmm. starting to change um it used to be that but they're trying to make there's quite a few restaurants popping up now and they're making it it's become safer and people would you know risk going there more now than they used to in apartheid era. It's just like, it, it's also stems from like, it's a very black area and then white people would never go in there. Mm -hmm. But things have changed and the mindsets behind that, it's def definitely changing. And it was your first time going? It was my first time going, I'm not gonna lie. I was a little bit nervous driving there just because I was, I've been born and raised and I've also been taught certain things that's not always true. Mm -hmm. But like one of them is like, oh, just, never drive into Soweto because you're probably going to be killed or like, <laughs> you know, like you hijacked as you drive in there. But <laughs> the fact of the matter is we went and we had lunch there. We went to a museum there and we were fine. Yeah. It's just that it's very different from what I'm used to seeing necessarily in my neighborhood. It looks completely different. There's lots of shacks and stuff, um, um, like the local little houses. It's And it's poor. Like it's yeah. not... So it was definitely funny driving there in her dad's Mercedes. And, but the food there was fantastic. I, there's a couple of different restaurants just up the street from uh, from Nelson Mandela's house, which I would highly recommend you guys go. If you guys haven't seen the Mandela movie, watch that on the on the plane on the way there, uh, and then go to his house, and then you know you kind of see the like the the culture um, where he used to live. But that street itself is really cool. Everybody just kind of hangs out in that little area. But if you walk up the hill from it. That's kind of where more the the locals, the, the kind of the new uh, rich blacks, they they go and hang out. Um, you know, basically, there's a lot of more money coming into South Africa, and a lot of the the Africans that live here also start. You know, they are now they now have a lot of money as well. So, but they want to keep to the roots. So they it was when we were eating there, a lot of people had a lot of money that was eating there, and the food was so good. Um, the dessert that we had there? So the street name is Vilakazi Street okay. and it's a very famous street in Soweto because Nelson Mandela's house is there and there's Mtutu's house is also there. So it's two Nobel Peace Prize winners who both has won the Nobel Peace Prizes who lives in one street. Um, okay, oh, that the used only. to be their houses. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think that they live there. That was where they lived with their families before, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, like... 
they got bombarded by people with fame and stuff. And it's the only street in the world where they've had two Nobel uh, Peace Prize winners on the same street. So that's cool in itself. And both their houses are turned into museums now. So it's a day out here where you could literally go have lunch. And then you can take a walk down to Nelson Mandela's house first. And then a little bit further down, you can do Desmond Tutu's house. Yeah. So I would, I would say that was super cool to do. Um, what else did we do that was cool? So basically we did a lot of animal stuff. We went on three different... So there's one thing that Johnny doesn't even remember we did. Okay. And this is purely because like that didn't wasn't as much of an interest to him. But if you go on like TripAdvisor or, or things to do in Johannesburg mm. or must-see attractions in Johannesburg, the number one attraction actually is the Apartheid Museum. Oh, yeah. Okay, which is next to a theme park so you can actually do like if you want to have a little bit of fun which is like it's called gold reef city and um there's quite a few cool rides there and it's not expensive to go in and it is fun if you enjoy things like that but um with regards to the apartheid museum like that is the number one advice thing to do in johannesburg i don't think it's everyone's cup of tea because mm -hmm. at the end of the day it is a museum and there's a lot of reading. And if you have no idea of the history of South Africa, you're going to be bored out of your mind because you're not going to have respect for it. Mm. And so when I, I, this was my first time going there as well. And I walked through there and there's like a few times that I literally got tears in my eyes and I was very close to crying because it literally touched me a lot of those people, what they've done for our country and who they are and what they've been through. But for someone who has no idea who they are and they even... Just trying to read all of that information, it's info a lot of information info. overload. You're trying to learn 60 years of history and events in an hour walk. So it's not yeah. going to happen. But one really cool thing that they have you do right away that really kind of almost kind of summarizes and gives you that feeling of what it was like is when you go in, they give you tickets, but with for separate entrances. So you can be a family of four and let's say, and let's say you're all white, but one or two of the tickets will say colored or, or black on it. Yeah, or non-white. Or non-white. And then you have to go in separate entrances. And then you basically are separated from your family for the first, you know, 15 minutes of the tour. And which, you know, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal. But when you're there and it's unexpected. Sorry, I, I just spoiled it for you guys. But, you know, it's unexpected. And you're like, what? I, I came here with my girlfriend. I came here with my family. And you guys are splitting me up now? Like, why are you doing this? And... Then all of a sudden you realize, you know what, this wasn't a choice for other people either. This was a reality. I mean, they got also labeled with, I'd like, you know, any, like, ne never say in it. Sometimes it was purely based on the way they looked. And for, I don't, I think most people know, but the, like, the apartheid separated people into four main groups, which okay. was whites, um, blacks, Asians, and coloreds. Things, right? I'm talking under correction yeah, here now. I think so. Or was it Indian and colored? I think it's Indian. I don't think Asian Indian. was on Sorry, there. it was Indian. I'm looking at you and I'm like, <laughs> I'm just like putting you in the category. So, I mean, that's the confusing feeling because if I was here during that time, I don't even know what category I would have been under. So it's Indian and colored. You know, yeah. I would have either been under Indian or colored, you know, and it's, or, I mean, there's actually a chance that they would have put you under something else too. So, you know, it's kind of very arbitrary and it was a, you know, I'm not too big of a history buff, but I was glad we went because it, it did teach us a lot uh, about what it, what it was like there. One kind of really interesting thing uh, that I learned when I was out here is actually, so there's a, a comedy sketch by a, a colored uh, comedian, uh, which I'll ask you what that is about later. But basically in the U.S., Nine, like 99% of African-Americans uh, have some kind of mixed blood in them. 
you know, and just, you know, and that's kind of just the way it, you know, it is in our culture. So in Africa, with South Africa, one, they would all actually be, be labeled colored and not black. And I didn't realize that there was even a separation. There was an entire separate community of black people and colored people. And when I say, you know, if you're African-American or, Af- you know, or um, basically you would not fit in with the black community here. They would put you in a total separate category and say, no, you have 1% you know, white blood in you. You're, you know, you're not black. You're, you're colored. And it's, it's this crazy minority. And a lot of them live in, in Cape Town, which is one of the provinces we visited. And it has one of the highest crime rates of, um, of South Africa. So all the, you know, a lot of the murders that you hear about, all the, you know, a lot of the, the craziness you hear about uh, actually comes from the colored community. And I understand why there's, you know, they, they live like that. It's because they, are, you know, they really don't feel like they belong in any of this, the sections. You know? so they're like, well, you know, either label me as white or label me as black. Don't put me in this separate section, you know, say, you know, just in limbo. And what was that that comedian that had that sketch? Is that colored comedian that said he didn't, you know, now when he's in the U.S., he's finally he thought he was gonna be finally black. Um, Trevor Noah. <laughs> so he, if you haven't seen one of his stand-ups, mm-hmm. please Google him, um, Trevor Noah. I'll put a link to it. Um, and he's a South African comedian who speaks openly about what it feels like to be South African and be colored and be labeled not as white or not as black. But how do you feel when you're your mom's white and your dad's black or other way around and um he's he's also a very political comedian so he always talks on politics in south africa so i don't think it would be funny to everyone because if you don't have a real understanding about what's happening but that one sketch was funny because basically you know not to give give too much of it away well you you guys (laughs) might not watch it anyways but basically he said that in his entire life going up south africa he you know he was labeled uh, colored and he you know and he's like yeah i want to go to to the u.s i'll finally be black and i'll yep. finally feel like i belong somewhere and then when he got there everyone thought he was mexican yep. <laughs> <Or everyone laughs> he's he was like highly disappointed he's like how can you make me mexican <laughs> i've traveled so far to be black and <laughs> all right so aside from all that um south africa cool place uh, but before we came here, we actually were just on vacation not that long ago. It feels insane. It's like, it doesn't, it feels surreal. How, so how if you, if you, you look at my blog or if you listen a couple episodes back, we were, we just came back from Borneo and we were there for like three weeks. Mm-hmm. It was a long trip. Three weeks. And we were back in Chiang Mai for only 30 days. Yep. Exactly 30 days because that's what our passports allowed us, our visas allowed yeah. us to be in the country for. So the reason why we chose the 30 day window was because with if you go back, if you fly into Thailand for less than 30 days, you don't need a visa at all. And we wanted to be back for 35 days or 40 days, but it just didn't make sense to have to, you know, to arrange a new visa for that. So we're like, okay, let's just go back for 30 days. And, but we wanted to make, make it worth it. We didn't want to just go back and rest for 30 days and have two back-to-back month-long vacations. So when we went back, we decided let's do a 30-day new store challenge. Um, so we, it was the perfect timing because we've just relaxed for three weeks. We, you know, we feel refreshed and everything. And then when we back, went back to Chiang Mai, we went back to Pine Space full days. Every day we tried to be there from seven to four. Um, or, and at the end of the day, it started being from eight to four, but it was still <laughs> a full day for us. I mean, that's more than majority of time that we work. And it definitely helped that we were two people working on the store together because Johnny knew a lot more about the technical side and, um, the design aspects where I could help a lot more with the page writing, um, the descriptions, etc., and finding the products, finding the suppliers, etc. 
But it was nice because um, in the evenings Johnny did most of the phoning for suppliers but I stood up, I was awake with him in the evenings and it allowed me to do a little bit of extra work as well and just be there as a support system. Yeah, so normally it takes about two months to start a new dropshipping store. So a lot of people ask like, if they, you know, if they sign up for something like Andal's course, how long does it take to actually have it up and running? I always told people two months because that's what it took me my, for my first store when I knew nothing about it. And from all the people I've met who have also done it, who have been literally hundreds of people now, uh, on average, it takes about two months for them to start watching the videos, figure out what dropshipping is to make their first sale. Uh, it's because it's all new. Like you have to learn the concepts and you need to like figure out stuff. And even though there's a, he gives you 99.9% .9 of everything, there's still going to be certain things that you need to search for and ask someone else for help or Google, like, yeah. how do I do this? Because you're not going to figure it out the first time around. Yeah. Like, like some examples would be like, you know, Anton will say, okay, like up, you know, upload your, here's how to set up a, a dropshipping store, but he's not going to teach you how to resize an image yep. because those are things that you, you know, you could figure out on your own. You might know it already. You probably know it already, or you can just Google it. Um, so things like that, if you're not super technical, then, you know, you have to spend some time doing that. And, but I would say it's cool because, so Larissa, when you started, you weren't very technical at all. Um, I don't know if I am technical now. Okay. <laughs> like you make it sound like I'm really technical now. But I definitely know a hundred things more than I did a month ago or two months ago. Um, it's really an... If you watch the videos and you just follow step by step and don't skip ahead like he says and he, you do everything according to what he asks you to, like the, you are guaranteed to have success. The only thing you need to know is that there's going to be obstacles along the line and I think uh, we had this conversation before and I said to Johnny, I think some people don't make a success out of it because that first stumble block, you're like, well, I can't do it. I don't know how to, let's say, resize the image. And that might sound ridiculous now, but when you have to upload it onto a page and it keeps popping up and it looks retarded on your page, it's frustrating and you don't know how to do it, then you'll have to like Google search, how do I do this or how do I edit this? And I think if you are the type of person who's not gonna give up the first time something doesn't go exactly according to plan, then you'll be perfectly fine. Yeah, and that's why you know I'm actually happy that Anton raised the price of the course and because he wanted people to be serious about it. He didn't want people to sign up and be like, oh, you know, this is gonna be, you know, like a, a you know, an overnight easy thing that someone's gonna hold your hand um, to, to teach how to do it. But what's nice is, you know, he really does go step by step and and teach you everything that you need to do. And he actually, one of the, the reasons why he raised the price of the course is because he's now doubled the amount of videos in there. So he's added you know, a lot of videos on how to design your store and you know um, more niche selection videos because that's kind of one of the biggest places that people get stuck is just for trying to figure out you know, what, what a good niche is. Mm -hmm. But here's the secret is no matter what your niche is, you, at some point you're gonna think your niche sucks. Because <laughs> even though we thought we had picked a good niche, we thought we did good research, at some point we're like, oh man, this is, yeah. this is hard, you know, like suppliers aren't calling us back, you know, we don't know what to do. And we had all these excuses. It was Thanksgiving uh, time in the US, um, so a lot of places are closed or it's almost the end of the year, you know, and we just, you know, there's a couple of times where we, we stumbled as well and for like maybe let's say four or five days, we just didn't do anything at all. You know, we we're just like, oh, let's, let's wait until we get to South Africa and the time zone's better or let's wait until whatever. But it was, you know, really thank goodness that we had told the world that we we're gonna try to have this up and running within 30 days. So we had a time constraint. Yep. So if you guys do it, I would say, you know, don't do 30 days because that's that's a little bit too short. I would say 
give yourself a time straight of 60 days. So in the next 60 days, I'm gonna watch all of the videos. I'm gonna you know, do the niche research. I'm gonna set up my store. I'm gonna call suppliers and I'm gonna get approved and have my store just basically up and up and running in the next 60 days. And that I, I, I would say, I would guarantee that if you actually spent a couple hours a day doing it uh, five days a week, you could have it up and running. But the beauty of it all is if once you've done it once, like I looked at Johnny and I'm like, in awe because I'm like, how do you do it that quickly? How do you do it that fast? Like, how do you know all these things? And he said to me, but remember, I've opened like three or four stores. And the nice thing is once you've battled with it once and the next time you, and after you've opened one store and you, there's nothing that stops you from opening a second one or a third one and a, or a fourth one. And every time you are going to open a store, it's going to go 10 times faster, a lot easier. There's going to be a lot less frustrations along the line because it's easy for me to speak about it because this is the first time I'm doing it with Johnny, but I see how quickly he does it. And then every time I feel a little bit not intimidated, but I, I tell him, like, I feel a little bit retarded and stupid because I'm taking forever to upload these things and I'm taking so long. And then he keeps reminding me, he says, remember, I've done this four or five times. And that's the nice thing. Once you've opened one, there's no reason why you can't have multiple incomes and open three or four stores. It all depends, obviously, on the time that you want to invest at the end of the day working. But, I mean, that's a personal preference. That's yeah. on what your goals are at the end of the day so one of our goals actually is to get the store completely up and running you know optimize as much as we can have it be a nice source of income for both of us and then have larissa just open her own store maybe based in south africa you know and do you think that so now that you've been through the process once let's say i wasn't even in the picture and you were just gonna do it on your own do you think you'd be able to do it now so i definitely think it would have taken me with to be very blunt and very honest uh, at least three times as long okay. i definitely do think so because i also don't have a much of a blogging background or anything like that so the most i did on internet was google information or facebook mm -hmm. you know so it would have taken me at least three times as long but combined with like the videos and then the forum having going because i don't like I don't post in there at all, but the nice thing is, even though I'm not very social on forums and things, there's a lot of information on there if you go back into people old, the old questions that they've asked. So there's a lot of times when you do have a question, 10 people have already asked it. So even if you are the type of person who doesn't enjoy going on forums and you're a little bit shy and you feel uncomfortable asking people all these things, the odds are that someone has asked that question multiple of times and 10 people have answered it for you already. I mean, to be so honest... the information is out there. You know, people actually prefer that. So, like, so on Anton's forum now on, that you get access to when you're part of the course, there's, as Larissa said, there's, you know, the questions have been asked already. There's not, not really any, anything new that you can ask that hasn't been asked already. And people would actually prefer you just do, a, do the search and read it on your own. And then if you really need to ask a question to clarify, you know, then just ask the same question you know, that 20 people have asked already. So the way Larissa is doing it is actually better, uh, I would say. And so you don't need to be super social on the forum, but it is nice because then people want to help. Yeah. People are super helpful in this community. But not everyone's got the same personality. Like I've, mm -hmm. we've had this conversation multiple times. Johnny loves going on forums and he loves helping and he loves being active on those things. And that's perfect. But my personality is the exact opposite. Where if I'm going to be social with someone, I want your face in front of me. If your face is not, if it's a photo, then I'm probably not going to do the effort like to get to know you. And it's, it's a personality thing. It's just, it's personal preference. And 
it just means that the course is optimized for both of us to be able yeah. to use. So it's not that if I'm not the type of person who's going to jump in there and make 100 friends online, that I'm not going to be able to start my store. That's true. So what do you think was, was the, the most difficult part of, of, of our last 30 days starting that store? Waiting to... Okay, so obviously calling, finding suppliers is, is difficult because you never know what's going to happen. It's kind of... You a shot in the dark. Like you can phone suppliers who's very open-minded, very friendly. It's sometimes it's just the time of the day, time of the month, or whatever, and you get them at the wrong time, and they're just not friendly, and they don't want to help you. And under the nights we phone and we get five people in a row that's like, yes, that's no problem. We're sending you documentation. And then I'm like, how did that happen? Last night we phoned twenty people, we didn't get one supplier. Tonight we phone five and we get five. So. It's a bit frustrating sometimes because you don't know what to expect until you are phoning. So the suppliers, phoning suppliers is definitely a difficult part. And then to me, the second most difficult or close to number one was when, once everything's up and running is waiting to make a sale and waiting to see if what you've done the last three weeks is, was actually worth it. Because now you don't know if people are searching for those things or, or if we've done something wrong. And it took us longer than we expected to make first sale and I was worried I was I literally for a second or two I thought we've invested all this time and it was a waste of time and the only thing I kept reinforcing in my mind was it's never a waste of time because you've learned so many things and if you need to open a new one now it's gonna go a lot faster and Johnny's gonna be able to dedicate a lot more things to my side because now I've learned these things so it's yeah. not a waste of time but I, your pride takes a knock because you do want to be able to tell people this is working. Yeah, especially, you know, you always want that first store to be success because, you know, you did spend a lot of time, um, you, know, put, you know, putting into it. And even though Lewis is right, where the second time, it, it is a learning curve and the second time it'll be that much faster, you're not always going to hit a home run with your first niche. Uh, but the nice thing is if you... If you, you know, kind of do a little bit of research, actually just follow what Anton says to do. Don't try to do it on your own. One of the reasons why I was a little bit worried about this niche is because I kind of swayed away from Anton's uh, criteria when he recommends, you know, the criteria of what, you know, what niches to get into. You know, he's basically figured out how to have a, like, basically 100% success rate if someone actually goes through the process. But I wanted to really try to hit a home run, pick a niche that didn't quite fit its criteria that may have a huge upside. So I was like, you know what, let me just go for it. Let's just try because worst comes to worst, you know, we'll, we'll expand the niche or we'll rename our store to something else and start adding different products. Um, so it was kind of a waiting game, but a lot of it actually wasn't just waiting for sales. It was waiting for Google to approve our ads for whatever reason, you know, Google just took their sweet time, um, approving our ads. And in the beginning, most of your traffic is going to come through paid Google ads. So that's kind of the, the first source of, um, of traffic. So that was kind of a big waiting game, but what was nice is we had our store completely up and running within the 30 day challenge. And that was our goal is to have suppliers have um, the store up. And that way, when we got on the plane to South Africa, we can kind of just let let Google do its thing, let them update on their, on their back end, let people search, and hopefully make our first sale while we're, we're in SA. And that morning, I remember when we did get our first sale, <laughs> 
I felt like a millionaire. I felt like I'm ready to retire. And it was like 200 bucks. I was like, yeah, we're done. We're like millionaire. We're on top of the world. No one can break us down now. I'm like a winner. And like, I felt so good. I cannot explain the feeling. when. And I had the app on my phone, the Shopify app on my phone. So it was so nice because I literally just checked my phone. I thought it was like a message or like a Facebook notification, which is really not as exciting at all. So it came with such a big surprise. And then I saw the Shopify, you have one new order. And I literally like started jumping on Johnny because I was so excited about it. And I was so excited about it as well because that proves to me that if you make that first sale, why can't you make a sale a day? Mm -hmm. And so what we learned from that as well is our checkout system works, you know, the, the store itself works, people are coming to our store, everything's, everything's up and running. And then now all we have to do is kind of add more products because we still only have like 30 something products on, on the store. Ideally you want over a hundred. Uh, Anton actually recommends in the course to, to get as many as you can. You know, if you can get 500 products on, you have, Why not? you know, you have more chances of people buying stuff. I mean, imagine if Amazon only had books still, you know, <laughs> they would still, you know, do well. They would still sell books. But now that they have electronics, they have, you know, home, you know, home furniture, all, all the stuff, they just, that's why they're a multi, multi-million dollar company now. Mm -hmm. So that's what our plan is going to be um, as soon as we get back to Chiang Mai is just phone more suppliers, add more products. But what we've been also been doing, we just started doing is we sat down to look at our our analytics and see... Um, Google Merchandise. Yeah, the Google Merchant Center yeah. and see what products people are actually clicking on. And there's a couple that surprisingly people are looking at. There's a, a $1,500 item. It's got like 90 clicks and few days yeah and we're like people are interested in this item and we're showing up for it. people coming to the page now all we have to do is figure out why aren't people clicking by now yep. and i think we have figured that out because we actually didn't have the uh the supplier name uh on the in the description so even though we had the photo descriptions it almost it almost looked like we were selling a generic version of it. Uh, so now that we have the supplier name, we put in the words authorized dealer. I, I, th I really think we're going to sell those products now. Yeah. I think it's also important to note that like once the store is up and running, it's not going to be, okay, now I'm going to sit back and relax and like money's going to start coming in and orders is going to start coming in. Like our store was up and running and then we had to figure out why people are clicking on it, but why people are not buying it because obviously people are looking for those products. So it's, being like you have to still keep going at it it's not just okay now i'm going to be on holiday and live a life in thailand with no nothing to like respond to at all yeah i always try to remind people that you know drop streaming to me was, was the best thing that could, ha could have happened to me it's my main source of income now for over a year and a half but it's still a job and that's mm -hmm. the, the honestly the reason why i don't have 10 stores is because it's still a job you still have to think about it all the time and it's you know to me i want a balance of having free time and having enough income, but not stressing too much. Mm -hmm. um, now, what's nice about having Larissa on board now too is she likes doing a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I really love the administrative part of things. I enjoy working with the customer side. Um, I'm not really good at the creative aspects and the like web design aspects, which Johnny loves doing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of weird perfect team in that aspect because the things he hates doing i actually enjoy doing so someone at punt space laughed at me the other day when i said i enjoy rewriting the descriptions and i think this guy thought i was like making a joke and because he started laughing at all like yeah me too and i'm like no seriously <laughs> i really do enjoy <laughs> writing the descriptions <laughs> and i think he was like what i'm not gonna be friends with you like you wanna <laughs> 
but that's the honest truth I, I really like those things I find them like it's calm it's yeah. relaxing and I would have an 8 to 5 job still if I can choose to do that the whole day I don't mind at all I actually do enjoy it yeah, and you know, th this way you still have this flexible schedule. You know, you can still be location independent. I mean, honestly, we haven't actually worked that much while we've been traveling out here. I mean, I probably, uh, my plan was, you know, originally to work, you know, alongside Lewis a lot more. Every morning we were going to dedicate a few hours. But to be honest, I think I've actually worked an average of 30 minutes a day for the last two weeks. Um, but the nice thing is money still comes in. We've still been able to pay for a holiday. Uh, we've still been able to do all this cool stuff. And when we get back, we can say, okay, let's sit down and dedicate once again. Because, um, you know what? It is Christmas. It is, you know, we are with our family. You know, we are on safari. So we want to enjoy this stuff and not have to worry about, you know, about things. But what's nice is things don't fall apart. You know, sometimes, you know, an hour before bed, I'll check my emails, fulfill my orders. Uh, or sometimes, you know, I'll wake up um, in the morning an hour earlier and just do everything. So that I really do think that is the, the best part of, of being location independent. Johnny's been working 30 minutes a day and I've been working on sleeping an extra 30 <laughs> minutes a day. <laughs> so, but once we get back into Chiang Mai, I know it's going to be back to normal. And the nice thing about it is like a year ago, when my December holiday was coming towards an end, I was already getting depressed. I, honestly, and when I say depressed, I mean serious depression i was already getting down in the dumps and i'm like two i was it's a countdown it's like a new year's countdown i'm like two more days then i'm back to the office one more day i'm back to the office 30 minutes i'm gonna be back at the office and it was just an awful feeling but now i know in a week i'm going back to chiang mai and not only am i content with it i'm happy about it i start looking forward to it i'm like i'm excited to go back because i know we have this store up and running and i'm excited to work on something that is us it's our little baby i'm not working on making millions for someone else and slaving my, my own time and my own battle for it i'm really excited to go back and work on it again yeah definitely and you know a lot of the things that we were talking about earlier saying you know it's it doesn't end you you know you keep uh, optimizing you, you keep making the store better you keep you know doing these things there's tools out there that makes it so much easier now there's one um that we've been using i think it's called what is it baby so I used to use Lucky Orange, and now we use something called Inspectlet. Yep. But what that does, it allows you to see the customers, um, basically what they're looking at on your site. Uh, and it, it's pretty intense if you think about it. Like it records everything the customer does. So you see your, your store, and you see the mouse like moving. You see what, exactly what they click on. You see the time they've spent there. You are, it's like sitting next to your customer while they are making an order. That's exactly what it is. And you're like, it's almost like you're looking behind the shoulder and be like, so uh, I guess I see you clicking the About Us page now. Yep. And you're reading, you know, you're scrolling down, you're reading it. And, oh, now you're clicking uh, the FAQ, you know. I, and now you got lost somehow. Like, you know, you can't, you can't find the product again. Now you're doing a search. And what's really cool about it is you can see why people are not ordering or when people do order, uh, what they're going through. And these little tools um, have made it so much easier to figure out, you know, how to optimize your store and how, how to make more sales. And what's really cool is a lot of these things are free as well. So I have like these free trial links or these free credit links in my recommended resources page. So if you go to johnnyfd.com on there, that's basically every single thing that I use for all my stores. So what was cool is uh, when, I, when we first launched our store, uh, I think we we're actually still using it. Google and Amazon gives you $75 in free credit uh, to advertise with. So we made our first sale before that $75 was even up. 
So all that money that we made from that sale, we basically get to keep because there was there was no advertising cost for it. And it's nice because it lets you test new things. Um, for Inspeclet, I'm also using the free trial on there. You know, I'm not using you know, and uh, I think Grasshopper is our our phone support number, and all this stuff we're using the the free credit that's that's listed there. So. When people ask, you know, how much does it cost to start up uh, a new store? It really doesn't cost that much. Once you know the the training course is very expensive, but so is education. So is you know going out and getting a master's degree. So is going you know any kind of training. Yeah, my honors degree up to my four years or five years of studies was <laughs> was a lot more, and I haven't used it yeah. once. And this, you, yeah, and then you know if you actually use it, you actually go through the course. It pays. It really does pay itself back within the first month. But what's nice is don't think of it as a big one month. You know, expense. Think of it as, you know, if you if you divided that up by twelve, you know, you're like, okay, this is this is something I'm gonna do for the next year. How much would that actually cost per month? You know, and then really isn't that much. Um, and it allows you to do stuff like this. I mean, South Africa has been incredible. Um, and the guy that I'm gonna put up, this is the video. There's, you know, we saw penguins, which is African super penguins. cool. You know, we saw lions, you know, we saw wild dogs, which are one of the, the most incredible things out there. We ate all this great food. You know, I got to see this country that I really never thought in, my, in a million years I would get a visit. You know, and, you know, being able to come and meet Larissa's family and, you know, spend time with her and being, being in her home. You know, this is really cool. So, and, and if it wasn't for being location dependent, having my dropshipping store, there's no way I'd be able to do this. And there's a lot of other posts that like, I know like Johnny always talks about the travels, but from like a woman's perspective, I always think of like in four years from now, I want to have a family and I want to be able to, because that's just why I'm still left to work, but one day I want to have kids as well. And like, this is amazing because if I keep, can keep doing this, I can have all those dreams come true. I can mm-hmm. still have an income coming every single month. I can be independent completely and I can still have a family. I would still be able to spend time with kids. I would still be able to take holidays when I want to. There's so many benefits to it. Like I know the travel is a, like a major point and especially for like younger people, that's what attracts them. But I definitely think from like a woman's perspective, there's so much more to it that is like why you would want to do this. Yeah, 100%. And you know, that's what, that's, the major reason why I'm not just content making the amount of money I'm making now, I want to keep scaling, I want to keep adding these new stores, I want to keep doing other things, you know, having new streams of income, is because I'm thinking, you know, two years in the future, you know, when our expenses are going to be a lot higher, but, you know, when we decide to have kids, when we decide to buy a house, we move, maybe relocate back to the U.S. or something, where expenses really are high, yep. but be able to still live this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, people, you know, are probably wondering, would do you rather live back here in South Africa or would you rather live somewhere else? So that's very easy for me to answer. If I knew that I could move back to South Africa today and I have safety guarantees, the same like crime levels, let's say that Chiang Mai has, I wouldn't think twice and I would move back to South Africa. Um, That is the one thing why I don't want to stay here. And so if there's other South Africans listening to it, I know there would be people who argue with me and saying it's not that bad, like, you know, but it's very different when things start happening to your immediate family. Like my dad's been hijacked. We've had friends and family members who's been hijacked. And it's ve- then it becomes very real to you when it's not just on the news anymore and it's happened to a family member. And Johnny knows the long story about that, but like 
when those things started happening to me, it took away. It didn't even happen to me. It happened to my dad and to other family and thank members. Thank God he's okay. So everything's yep, and fine. Every, everything's fine. But I mean, I started getting panic attacks and I just, it went really downhill from there. And that's purely because of, I didn't feel safe in my hometown. I didn't feel safe driving in late at night. Um, as soon as it got dark, I'd be like, okay, let's head home. Okay. So if you guys have seen I Am Legend, <laughs> South Africa is like that movie where in the, in the beginning scene, he's just walking around the streets of New York and everything's fine. He's having fun. He's, you know, he's walking with his dog, he, you know, he's hanging out. But as soon as it starts getting dark, he freaks out. He's like, we need to get in right now. We need to lock up right now. Mm -hmm. And that's how it feels like in South Africa is during the day, it's beautiful here. Like, it, like we've been wine tasting. The South African wine is incredible and it's super cheap. I mean, you can go to any restaurant and a glass of extremely good wine is probably like four bucks or something. Yeah. You know, you can get a bottle for $8. And Much it's, less, actually. Yeah. It's it's insanely you know it's it's insanely good. We went to um what, what's that place called? Speed. Speed. Oh, which is in Stellenbosch. Okay, which is the most famous part of of South Africa for wine. It's kind of like the Napa Valley of California, mm -hmm. where you know and the wine tasting. We had a wine and chocolate tasting. Oh, it was yeah. It was six bucks, <laughs> and they give you six glasses glasses of, of wine. wine and three chocolate pairings. So three bars of chocolate. And they were incredible. And then they had somebody, you know, that goes through the whole story with you and teaches you how to taste it, how to pair it. And I'm like, a $6 day, like a whole afternoon is incredible. I would do that every day. I mean, that, that would be, if, if I was still on Tinder, that would be my, my go-to date. But that's why I say I would, without a doubt, I would want to live, yeah? Like, there's so much things to do. It's a beautiful country. People are so friendly. Yeah. And... I love the diversity. I love how many different cultures there are. Yeah? Like we have 11 official languages. We have people are just like you can meet your neighbors can be completely different from you when they just speak a different language or they had a different upbringing to you. So there's always things to do and you never get bored, which is so nice. And I, I really do love the people. You always have a special connection with where yeah. you are from. But because of like safety issues here still, I definitely do not want to have it as my home right now. So... I 100% agree with Larissa. I, I think if I told Larissa, I said, if two things change, I would happily live in South Africa. One is if all of a sudden the crime rate suddenly dropped to normal, I would say normal levels like Thailand or even US levels, then I'd be okay with that. And second, they need Wi-Fi. I cannot believe this country still does not have Wi-Fi in, in houses or in you know, really anywhere. People still so use... So they do have it at every coffee shop and every restaurant. You can ask for a Wi-Fi password and they will give it to you. But it's not sufficient to sit and work the whole day. Mm. Like, that's not a popular trend yet. So people don't necessarily go to coffee shops and sit and work the whole day. You, you go to a coffee shop to have coffee with a friend. Or you go to a restaurant to eat with a friend. So that's not a trend yet. So there hasn't been a tremendous need for it. But they do have Wi-Fi at restaurants okay. and at coffee shops. You just have to ask for a password. Okay. Like it's not a sign everywhere saying Wi-Fi yeah. Like that's not an attraction feature. Like at other like if you go to Borneo, like that is a main attraction feature when the place has got Wi-Fi. They'll put a note on and a sign saying please come sit by us. But at people's houses, like even these brand new beautiful houses, Wi-Fi is still not popular. So in the two, you know, in your aunt's house and your dad's house, both beautiful, you know, modern houses, they still use. Um, 
basically these USB plugged in hotspots. Okay, so just so that I want to give a little bit more info there. It also depends whose house you are going mm. to. So my dad is a dean at a university who doesn't come home necessarily. He works till eight. So when he comes home, he doesn't need Wi-Fi. He doesn't want it. <laughs> yeah. My aunt works for a steel company. She doesn't do anything on the internet except for like maybe Facebook, which she does off of her phone. But if you go to my sister who's 30, 32 years old and her, her and her husband's house, they have Wi-Fi in the house. It's just a different generation. So you need to take it off of okay. what generation's house you are going to. It's like saying at her grandmother's house, there's no, no Wi-Fi. They don't use it, so they're not going to have it. But as soon as you go to a younger generation, and like Peter Ben's house, my yeah. sister's husband, they will definitely have Wi-Fi. So like, it is available. So that's that's a yeah. good, good thing. It is a lot more expensive, though. Because I remember your sister saying that she spends almost $200 a month yes. on her Wi-Fi, which is insane. Especially, you know, I mean, in the U.S., we still spend a lot as well. It's their Wi-Fi and their phone bills. It's a yeah. quite a few things included okay. in the 200. But it's going to be expensive. But I would say, aside from that, I mean, that we can figure out. But it is a safety issue where you can go your whole life living here and nothing bad will happen. Yep. But the, that chance of something bad happening, it's just it's, to me, it's just not worth it. It's not worth the risk. Um, and also, you know, one of the things that you'll notice, you know, living here is even though the houses are absolutely beautiful... They're all behind six foot fences with uh, alarm systems, with alarm systems and electric fences. You know, and it's you know I think it's something people we kind of just get used to. You know, and luckily the electric fences actually don't they don't look that bad. They're kind of these thin wires. Uh, they're not like these big barbed wires that it probably used to be you know twenty years ago, ten years ago. So they're not bad, that bad looking. But just the fact that you know that you your house has to have electric fence. You know, it's. It, it doesn't feel as, as comfortable. So there's definitely areas in South Africa where you can live without those things. Like we live in a nature estate, my dad and them. So it's an um, enclosed guarded area. Um, so there's a security gu- a gate where you have to pass through. And then people are a lot less intense on burglar bars and things in these areas because it's harder to get in here. But unfortunately, you have to be older and you need to be able to afford it so you need to be relatively wealthy to be able to live in these areas so let's say if i have to move back to south africa there's no way i'm going to live in one of these because my budget is not going to cut it i'm not going to have money for that so i'm going to have to live in a house that's not in an gated area where i'm going to have to have burglar bars on every single window which is not cool yeah you know it's just not as comfortable as living and we've met a lot of people who actually used to live in south africa that now live abroad yep. and one of the, the the main things that they've said like we met this you know really nice family on the plane and you know she was saying she has these two Karin hi yeah. Karin I hope you're <laughs> listening to this <laughs> yeah hello shout out um, we met them on the plane they have two you know baby kids and Luke and Ethan yeah two and, little boys yeah and now they're living in London and basically she said you know when she came back for the holiday she wanted to stay she was like man this is so nice yeah, you know, both I, her I, and her husband you know I, we miss south africa so much and for the cost of living it's so much lower than it is in england or in the u.s or really really anywhere it's, it's a pretty good cost of living out here and she's like i can either have a really nice big house and be near family if i move back to south africa but i'd have to live behind six foot fences those were her exact words yeah <laughs> and that to me that kind of just sums up the whole thing is mm. do you want you know the freedom of knowing, um, you know, that everything's, I mean, it's not like there's no crime in the U.S. or in the U.K., but you don't have to worry about things like, you know, things like getting hijacked at a, at a stoplight and having nobody want to help or nobody even want to call He's the police. And, and to me, that's actually, to be honest, that's actually the, the number one thing is if somebody gets hijacked in broad daylight uh, in the U.S., you would like to think that somebody will call 911. 
And unfortunately, that's not the case here in, in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is the saddest part of it and the reason why I would not live here. But I do want to come visit. So another thing why I absolutely love living in Chiang Mai, and this is a personal preference, it's not for everyone, but I love the fact that I can walk everywhere. Mm-hmm. So every single thing we've had to do, we have to drive an hour at least. Like Because I'm in the south of Johannesburg, mm-hmm. and like I said, this is a, like, a family neighborhood. So there's not a, a lot to do here. Like people just, this is where people live. And then when you want to do something exciting for the day, you have to drive out. In Chiang Mai, it literally, if I can't remember the last time we had to drive an hour anywhere. We walk 10 minutes yeah. everywhere, and then we are happy where we go to, where, yeah, you have to get in your car. And it's like, I think most places in the world is probably like that. But to me, at this point in my life, I really enjoy the fact that I can still, and especially still being single, having no kids, etc. I love the fact that I can just walk out in the mornings, and I can work to the office, walk to the office. I can walk to the mall in the evenings. But yeah, that's not a possibility. Yeah, and another thing about driving here is if you're on you know normal streets or normal highways, you're fine. But all this, but then you, one thing that it's kind of hard to grasp. But your GPS would ask you to you know to get off this exit, and Larissa just won't do it. She'll skip it because she knows the how dangerous it is to get yeah. off that exit. Like if the, if the exit says to me like middle of Kailicha which I know is like one of the most dangerous areas or like I'm not supposed to be driving there. I'm not going to take that off. So that's why I always find it strange when like tourists come in and like get a rental. I'm like, oh my gosh, you do not know where you're driving. I hope you have some clear indication because I definitely don't think it's safe driving in all the areas. And to be fair, most of the time, everything's going to be fine. Nothing's yep. going to go wrong. Definitely. But what Lewis was saying is in case something does go wrong, let's say you get a flat tire or if your car you know, happens to break down or if you, you know, are just lost, there's a very, very good chance that you know, you know, something bad will happen. And when I say bad, it's a different bad than, than the US. Like bad, you might get robbed. Here, they might actually kill you. You know, and it's 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 a sad it's a very sad thing about it, but it just happens. Uh, you know, this is Africa, and so I would say for every every pro, there's a con. Uh, overall, absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. country. I would love to come visit here every year, even. Thank you, know? you And you know, I would say this is going to be a place that I want everyone to put on their list of places mm-hmm. to visit, especially if you guys can do the safaris um, and see the animals in the wild and, and do these amazing things. Um, but definitely not a digital nomad destination we definitely we haven't had time to do all of the touristy things because we've spent so much time with my family but i'm definitely going to give johnny like four or five things that i really think that if you come and visit our country that you have to make time to see and i hope that like maybe he can put it in his blog as like under a recommendation source or whatever but that we would highly recommend but unfortunately we just didn't have I've done them before but Johnny just didn't have time to do them this time around but we'll just put them in there for if you ever plan on traveling yeah. to South Africa and this gives me an excuse to come back uh, and also uh, South Africans super friendly the girls super pretty Miss World yeah we won Miss World woohoo <laughs> <laughs> alright so I would say yep data South African <laughs> Yeah, they uh, cook for you, they clean... No, I'm joking. No, they're... I'm joking. <laughs> That's like very stereotypes. So. But so far, yeah, super cool. I'm super glad. <laughs> I'm, I honestly, I, I never really... Knew, I don't think I've ever met a South African girl before Larissa. So I didn't really know what to expect. I thought I just got lucky. But it turns out most Af- South African girls are pretty cool. So I would recommend going out and uh, searching for them. <laughs> wherever they hang out. Maybe the barbecues. <laughs> <This is so laughs> on, the, on the safaris. All right. So that's it. Let's wrap it up. Yep. <laughs> uh, if you guys want to check out Larissa's new book. Oh my gosh. I have a new book that I've yeah, written. I don't know if the out. guys are going to be interested, but if I'll, you want to... 
get it for your girlfriend or I would um, say there's a lot of female listeners on the, on this uh, on the podcast as well so what's the book called where can they find it's it it's called the douchebag diaries and it's just the personal journey on um, the relationships we encounter in our life and then the lessons we can learn from them um, so it's a little bit of a personal development book um, and on my own personal experiences as, as a woman in her 20s and now it's, it's on, available on Amazon it's on Amazon I can't Amazon. believe it <laughs> I'm so happy like it's it's such a big accomplishment. I don't think people know how hard it sometimes is writing a book, but I really have put my heart and my soul into it. Everything there is with a place from love and that I really truly believe will make a difference in someone's life. Um, I, I, I really think so too. So if you are a female listener, definitely read this book, especially if you're in your 20s or if you know someone who, who is, you know, give them a copy of this book. I want to give a big shout out to Russell Walker from the Isle of Man, which is in the UK. Oh my gosh, Russell, I haven't even met you, but I already think you are amazing. He, he you know, he's the guy who volunteered to, to edit all of our books, actually. It's 12 Weeks in Thailand, Light Changes Quick, and now Douchebag Diaries. Such a cool guy. He never, ne- I, I offered to pay him. He never took a penny. You know, he's just a genuinely cool guy. And he just likes, you know, he likes my books. He likes my blog. He likes the podcast. And he's like... Johnny, your grammar is terrible, which I know. <laughs> Please let me fix it for you. And he's you. like, let me fix it for you. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so thank you, And mine's Russell. 10 times worse because I'm Afrikaans. <laughs> so I really needed Russell. So I'm very excited. I can't wait to meet him one day. Yeah, me like, as well. So big shout out to you. Um, Merry Christmas to everyone. I know it's a bit late, um, but you know, it's 2015 coming Merry up. Merry Christmas. I, I really sincerely hope that you guys all make this year the, the, best. the best year of your life. And I, I promise you, life changes so quickly. If you haven't read the book, it's life changes quick. It basically, it's everything that I I know works. Yep. So now you know not only how to get your, you know, your business in order, how to get your travel in order, your health, your, health, your diet, your even relationships. Please read this book. Please give it to a friend. Uh, I mean, it's 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 my my passion project. So I want everyone to read yep. it. We um, want the world to have it, and we want the whole world to change their lives quickly and become like the happiest person that they know. Yeah, because I I'm honestly happier now than I've ever been my entire life, uh, partially because of Larissa, partially because of the friends I have, partially because of the freedom, partially because you know of you know just just finally you know living to my potential. So, guys listening to this, uh, girls listening to this. Have a wonderful 2015. Larissa, thank you so much for being on the show, for being such an amazing girl. I absolutely love being on the show, baby. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me again. I really appreciate it. And peace out from South South Africa. Africa. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.